Our God is good. Our God is great. And we delight in that because he has chosen to use his goodness and his greatness towards us. I marvel at all that he is and what he has chosen to do for us despite who we are and what we are and what we do. And it wasn't because of our goodness that God chose to send his son. It wasn't because of something that we had done, was it? It is all because of who he is and his goodness extended to us. Psalms 8 this morning. You know, a few years ago, Time Magazine did a featured story about Peter Sellers, told him about him appearing on The Muppet Show and nothing other than Kermit the Frog did the interview. I am a fan of Kermit. This particular interview, Kermit began by saying, now, Peter, just relax and be yourself. And Peter Sellers responded, well, I can't be myself because I don't know who I am. The real me doesn't exist. Now, those of you that know Peter Sellers, he was a comedian, and I'm sure to some degree he was trying to be humorous. And yet on this particular occasion, his words really resounded with not much humor. In fact, really quite sad. Uh, one of his longtime friends commented on those words, and he said, Poor Peter, the real Peter disappeared a long time ago. What he is is simply an amalgamation of all the stage and screen characters he has ever played. And now he is frantically trying to unsnarl that mess and find out who he really is. Uh, I don't know if he ever did find out who he is. It wasn't uh, very many months after that that he died. And whether he did or not is not the point. The fact is he's not alone in his sentiment. I'm convinced that many people, maybe even a majority of people in this world, are trying to go through life and figure out who they are, why they're here, what they're doing, and where in the world they're headed. So we want to turn our attention to the words of a psalm that was written by David a long time ago. And I can just imagine in this eighth psalm as I read it, David is up on the hillside, he's in the woods, and it's probably dark out. And he's watching the beauty of God's creation. He's outside of Bethlehem, gazing up at the moon and the stars, and his heart has been filled with wonder of all that he is taking in. And he takes out his harp and he begins to sing, and some of what he sings is in this psalm. O Lord, our Lord... How majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. As he stares at the heavens and the stars and the brilliance and the brightness. And you remember, they didn't have electric lights out there. You know what I'm talking about? You go out at night and look up at the stars and you see a few here, there. And then you go off into the woods where there's no city and town around. And all of a sudden, there are billions of stars. And it's magnificent. 
from the lips of children and infants. You have ordained praise. When I consider your heavens, the works of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the angels and crowned him with glory and honor. You made him ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet, all flocks and herds and the beasts of the field, the birds of the air and the fish of the sea, and all that swim in the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You know, as David looks up at the stars and the vastness of the universe and all God created, and then he realized, whoa, I'm very small. I'm very small. And so he asked this question, God, in light of all the magnitude of your creative handiwork, why do you care about me? Of all the vast exploits of God, why me? The heavens, they are incredibly majestic. The earth is full of the glory of God. The diversity of the animals and the birds and the, the fish and the bugs, it seemingly is endless. Every once in a while we say, we found a new bug. We found a new critter off in the wilds of Africa. We found a new gopher that needs saving. <laughs> we find all these incredibly diverse things that God has created. And yet God has chosen you and me. What a marvel. Psychologists tell us there are two major crisis periods in life. One comes during adolescence. The other comes during middle age. I don't remember adolescence, so I must be in middle age. <laughs> Something like that. During the early, during your teens, you know, your body begins to change and you go through all this. You know, you develop acne and your feet maybe grow faster than the rest of you and your voice begins to change. And as a part of that growing up process, we begin to think about your future, what you're going to be and what you're going to do and who you really are and what are you going to do with this life that has been handed to you. That's adolescence. And then comes adulthood and this midlife thing, midlife crisis, and we go through more changes. It's not quite the same, but it's not dissimilar. Our skin changes, not with so much acne, but it loses that elasticity and it begins to get wrinkly, and we spend hundreds and thousands of dollars to prevent that. Amen? Some do. All right. Some guys begin to lose their hair. It all changes color. Women, for some reason, theirs doesn't change, or it changes more regularly. <laughs> Figured out what happens there. And we begin fighting the battles of the bulges, <laughs> and you know the print on the page gets smaller, and the lights get dimmer, and many begin to wonder why they're here and where they're going and what they're going to do with whatever is left of life. One middle-aged mother, she looked at her circumstance and that of her kids, and she said, it's really not much different at all. We have physical problems. They have physical problems. Take their eyesight, for example. The kids seem to have a real problem with eyesight. The teenage son can go to the full refrigerator, open it up, and say, there's nothing here to eat. <laughs> and her teenage daughter goes to a closet full of clothing and says, I don't have anything to wear. <laughs> There are uh, certain birthdays that are significant. Most of them end in a zero. And they can either be a blessing or they can be a curse. 
You look forward to the 10 and the 20 and the 30. You know, those are great birthdays. Those are stepping stones, if you will. And then as you get into the 70s and 80s and 90s, those are milestones, triumphant old age. But then there's those 40s, 50s, and 60s, and they're not the stepping stones, they're not the milestones, they're just the millstones, <laughs> you know? You begin to realize that the battle between youthful strength and decay is uh, being tipped. <laughs> I, I, I like Snoopy, you know, Charlie Brown's dog. He's laying on top of his doghouse, and he says, I can hear my stomach growling. I can hear my heart beating. I hear my bones cracking. My body is making so much noise I can't sleep. <laughs> Maybe you feel like that from time to time. <laughs> so before it gets too late, let's discover what David is saying to us and answering this question, what is man that God would take notice of us? Why us? You know, the world gives all kinds of answers. You know, some scientists say, well, you're just a byproduct of nature, no more than a cockroach that runs across the kitchen floor. Well, I don't know about you, but to me, that doesn't seem to satisfy. There's something different between me and a cockroach. Most of the time. I think the place to find real answers and accurate answers is in the Word of God. Because God designed life, he created life, he knows best how it functions. And so David asked the question, who am I? Who am I that God would care? And in, in Genesis 1, we see the first answer. God reaches down and he takes from the dust of the ground and he forms man. He forms it into a human body and he breathes into its nostrils Life, the breath of life. And Adam blinks his eyes and he begins to breathe and he becomes a living being. And God realizes that it's not good for man to be alone. And even though he's surrounded by beautiful creation, he is in paradise. So God puts Adam to sleep and out of his rib he forms a helpmeet, Eve. And God causes her to live and to breathe and to become a part of Adam's life. And for some time, we're not sure exactly how long, but Adam and Eve, they live in this garden of paradise, walking and talking with one another and with God himself, enjoying the very purpose for which they were created, to have fellowship with God Almighty, to honor him with their lives. And we're told that he created them in his image. You and I have a unique quality, and we have value because you are created in the image of God. They didn't look like God, and they were not God, nor were they God's little g, but they were in his image, his likeness. They could think like him. They could make decisions. They would be responsible for those decisions. They could love in the way that God can love, and they can hate the things that God hates. <clears throat> they are mirrors of God himself because God created them in his own image, and he created them to be the objects of his love, unlike the animals in the creative handiwork. Now, he said they were all good, 
but none of them were created in the image of God, making us unique to all creation. It's important, I think, in those lonely and frantic moments and when you're saying, who am I and why am I here and what in the world is God doing today to recognize first and foremost that we are created by God in his image, therefore we have value to him. Don't think so lowly of yourself. You know, as David starts to praise the majesty of God, he realizes this great truth. God, you've made this a little lower than yourself. That's pretty high on the ladder. You crowned mankind with glory and with honor and made him ruler over the works of your hands. We are to superintend and care for all that God has created. That is our task, but we are over those things. They are not over us. You're a special person because you're created in the image of God. However, don't think too highly of yourself. There ought to be a balance struck here. Galatians 6, 3 says, For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. So the Bible teaches us to not think too highly of yourself because your sin has scratched and marred the image that God has created in you. Adam and Eve did the very thing that God told them not to do. They had all these things that they could do and only one thing that they shouldn't do, and they yielded to Satan's temptations and they chose to do the very thing that God said don't do. <laughs> and all of us suffer because of what they did, that choice. It ought to be a lesson to us. Rather than blaming them, we ought to realize that our choices will be perpetuated on future generations as well, won't they? So don't disobey God. Listen to Him. Respond to Him. He's right. He knows what is best for mankind, how best to design life and to live it. Adam and Eve suddenly realized that they are naked are ashamed in the presence of God, so they cover themselves and they try to hide from God. But they find that you cannot hide from God, and so very soon they are no longer in paradise. Well, they have children, and their children are very similar to yours. They learn how to argue. They learn how to fight. And the first thing you know, Cain kills his brother Abel. Why? Well, because they are the products of sin, and they are now in a sinful environment. They learned it from their parents. They inherited from their parents. So we see in our offspring and our children and our grandchildren the same thing. They learned from us. The very thing that we were created to do, we don't do. We were created to walk with God. We were created to talk with Him, to have fellowship with Him. But now we can't because there's this great chasm between us chasm created by sin. So what we learn is we're created in God's image. That creates value, but we ought not to think too highly of ourselves because we have marred and scratched that value, that image. So don't become so conceited that you think you're okay without Him, but don't walk around totally defeated. I am created in the image of God, but my image is marred. So who am I? The third point is found in Colossians 2.9. 
in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. God, through Jesus Christ, can restore that original image and brilliance. And Paul is telling us Christ is formed in you. Christ is fully and completely God. There is no empty crevice, no space, no empty part that needs to be filled. He is completely God. And here we are walking around and wondering who we are, trying to fill the, the emptiness inside of our lives, searching to make significance, and in the process, making foolish mistakes, trying to stuff something into the empty part of our life. And Paul says, you don't need to live that way. You're created in God's image. Yes, that image has been marred, but you can once again reflect the glory of God through Christ you can be made full and complete. Who am I? Well, of all the names and titles I might give myself, the one that counts the most is I am a Christian, a Christ-like one, one born from above, given life from Him, born of the water, born of the Spirit, that gives us a new life, a different quality of life, bought and paid for by the blood of the Lord Jesus. I am His. That gives me identity. That is who I am. Uh, Bob Russell, preacher at Southeast Christian Church in Louisville, Kentucky, had a fellow that was the chairman of his evangelism committee a few years ago. The man was a medical doctor named Dr. Sumi. Dr. Sumi had never taken a course in evangelism. He just loved God and loved people. And he could not stand to see people lost in their sins. And so he tells people continuously about the love of Christ. And one day he and his pastor went calling in a, an apartment complex. And they went from apartment to apartment, ringing doorbells, knocking on doors, passing out tracts, witnessing to people, sharing their faith. And Dr. Sumi was so enthusiastic in what he was doing that Pastor Bob was almost embarrassed. <laughs> And he said, here is this fine medical doctor who is just compelled to tell people about Jesus. And after they had completed their day, they were on their way home, and Dr. Sumi looked over at Pastor Bob and he says, Preacher, you know what? The church has so much more to offer than we have to offer back at the hospital where I work. And Pastor Russell says, what do you mean? He says, well, at the hospital... I can perform surgery. I can make an incision and remove a diseased part of the body. I can sew it back up again and give people a few more years of life. But he said, here, we're talking about eternal life. We're talking about eternal life. Eternal life is... Sometimes I sit back and I wonder, why in the world am I so concerned and anxious about things here and now. See, what really counts is what stands for eternity. It's whether or not you know the Lord Jesus as your Savior. In the long run, nothing else really matters, does it? And it brings us back to our identity. Who am I? And we need to ask that question, who am I? See, your identity is either wrapped up in yourself or it is wrapped up in the person of Jesus Christ. He is the one that can give significance and fulfillment. 
both for time and for eternity, by the way. So answer the question, who am I? I think John Mark Hall of the group Casting Crowns grasped the concept of Psalms 8 very well in the song, Who Am I? He asked the question, Who am I? That the Lord of all the earth would care to know my name, would care to feel my hurt. Who am I? That the bright and morning star would choose to light the way for my ever-wandering heart. Not because of who I am, but because of what you've done. Not because of what I've done, but because of who you are. I am a flower quickly fading, here today, gone tomorrow, a wave tossed in the ocean, a vapor in the wind. Still you hear me when I'm calling. Lord, you catch me when I'm falling, and you've told me who I am. I am yours. Who am I? That the eye that sees my sin would look on me with love and watch me rise again. Who am I? That the voice that calmed the sea would call out through the rain and calm the storm in me. Not because of who I am, but because of what he's done. Not because of what I've done, but because of who he is. He's the one that tells me who I am. I am yours. This morning, you need to determine who your identity is based on. Is it going to be based on you and who you are, what you've done? Or will it be based in Jesus Christ in the work that he has accomplished, both for time and for eternity, on your behalf? He is our purpose for life. He is who gives identity. He is who gives purpose, and he gives hope. Do you know him? Have you experienced that? I trust that's true. If not, would you take some time this morning and pray and respond to him in faith? He, his offer comes in love. Respond in the same fashion to him. Maybe you're struggling with something and you've lost sight of your identity today and, and you've been closed in about a circumstance or something that has put pressure on you. And again, I say, find your identity in him and his purpose, in the bigger scheme, the bigger plan what he has in store and what he is working and doing through you. The circumstances of life are merely a stepping stone to accomplish his purpose. Find encouragement and identity in who he is. Father, thank you for Psalms 8 and the question of the psalmist. Who are we? What is man that you are mindful of him? Thank you, Father, that you are mindful and you care about us, that you love us with an everlasting love and you've extended yourself to us to know you and experience you and to walk with you both for time and for all eternity. We marvel in that. In Jesus' name, amen. I invite you to stand as we sing a closing song. I hope it's familiar to most of you. It may not be familiar to all, but it answers the question, who am I? I'm his. He is mine. Loved with everlasting love, led by grace that love to know, 
Gracious Spirit from above, Thou hast taught me it is so. Oh, this full and perfect peace, oh, this transport all divine. In a love that cannot cease, I am His and He is mine. In a love which cannot cease, I am His and He is mine. His forever, only His, who the Lord and me shall part. Oh, with what a rest of bliss, Christ can fill the loving heart. Heaven and earth may fade and flee, firstborn light in gloom decline. But while God and I shall be, I am his and he is mine. What will God and I shall be? I am his and he is mine. Father, thank you that you have named us as your own. Lord, if there are those that may not know you as personal Lord and Savior, they're not walking in fellowship with you, may that change today. Transform our heart, our thinking. Unite us in you. Thank you, Father, for bonding us together in the person of the Lord Jesus. Thank you for the camaraderie and the fellowship that we enjoy because of him. Lord, as we go, may you be pleased to be seen in and through us that our identity in you would not be hidden in the world. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. And God's people said, All of you Awana folks, I trust you're planning to join us at our house. If you need directions, come see myself and I'll let you know how to try to get there. <laughs>